Welcome to the AFIRE podcast. So just because we did it right before doesn't always mean we can do it right again in the future. Now, with technology, culture, and generational shifts changing every part of our world, do we really have the skills we need to do it right tomorrow and the day after that? I asked John D'Angelo, the managing director and leader of U.S. real estate in the U.S. for Deloitte, to join me today to talk about the state of talent in the real estate investment industry. So thank you, John, for once again joining me in a discussion for the AFIRE podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Gunnar. In the most recent edition of AFIRE Summit, our journal, you wrote an article about some research uh, that you've been doing at Deloitte called Preparing for the Future of Commercial Real Estate, Redefining the Talent Experience. So what prompted you and your colleagues at Deloitte to explore how talent might need to change? Sure. Yeah. The, the, I guess the, the idea behind that was that we were seeing a gap in, uh, you know, the industry. It's not a new thing, but in the industry, you know, with respect to uptake in technology investment in, uh, you know, automation. Um, you know, that's uh, you're not hearing it here for the first time, certainly. Uh, but I was I was curious about what was behind it and, you know, what people were doing and what we're seeing in, in actual talent and in, in workforce. We started poking into some research that we'd already done and doing some primary research about uh, the kinds of people that were getting hired, what ages, you know, what skills. Um, and I, actually, the, the results surprised me a little bit. Um, so that was anyway, the impetus was really about how. The future of work applies to the real estate industry and you know what we were seeing and and sort of what it meant and what the industry could do well you mentioned uh or you described commercial real estate as having an archaic approach to talent so what what's missing here how are we being archaic well the archa the archaic thing there is really about uh sort of talent acquisition uh, so you know how people are reaching out where they're reaching out what the methods are um, and it, I think it's telling about the uh, sorts of people that are getting attracted to the industry or that the industry is hiring. It, it basically just said that, that we're you know, relying on, on old methods of, you know, sort of advertising, you know, reaching out via LinkedIn, um, you know, versus sort of meeting the next generation where they are. Um, because, frankly, I, I just don't think it's something that the industry is familiar with or has spent much time thinking about, um, you know, and, and it's also a bit of, you know, you do what you're comfortable with. Um, so, you know, we're sort of doing the same things that we've always done. And, and it means that we're attracting, you know, partly we're attracting the people that we've always attracted um, in the in the ways that we've generally always attracted them through, you know, sort of our networks or, you know, sort of traditional ways of reaching out to people. And the, the troubling part about that is, and, and frankly, it's also about the kinds of, of skills that are being attracted to the industry. So it, it, it cuts both ways, right? It's also you, you tend to hire people that you're comfortable managing, that you understand. And, you know, the, the sorts of skills that we're, that we're looking at, I, I remember seeing a statistic about um, the kinds of, um, of, of skills uh, that are being advertised for. 
and and we, so we looked through a bunch of ads in the in the real estate industry, or sort of you know uh, help wanted ads, if you, if you will, in the in the industry, um, and, and looking at at things like uh, you know uh, financial analytics showed up quite a bit, but uh, you know, software development, data analytics, AI, um, cloud computing was showing up almost not at all. So, you know, it, it, it just speaks to, um, you know, gosh, I, you know, maybe we should have a data scientist, but I don't really know what they do. Um, so I don't really know how to direct them or manage them. So I'm not really comfortable with it. So I'm not going to deal with that today. You know, I've heard that from a couple different places. People talking, well, we need data scientists. And you're right. I mean, we don't even know what that exactly is uh, once they're in the shop. Does that mean that we need to think about um, kind of restructuring what the talent actually is? I think you referred to that a little bit in the article here. I mean, it's almost like the job descriptions have nothing to do with what the job is or is becoming going forward. If you're hiring someone that can do great real estate in the 1990s, that's not necessarily the person you're looking for now. Yeah, I think that's, I think part of it is um, a, uh, an industry-wide understanding of the importance, the relevance, the application of, uh, in a lot of ways, technology, in some ways, data, in some ways, process automation. Um, so it's, it's sort of the you know, it's the chicken and the egg thing, right? It, it is understanding there's a need to change and, and believing that need is, you know, either urgent or growing um, and then sort of doing something about it and, um, you know, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? So um, we've got to, it sort of starts with, okay, there's a, there, there really is a change that, that we need to bring in. And, and um, I can't really look to my peers to see who else has done this before, or who's doing it. I need to, you know, people believing that there needs to be a change and they need to be a driver of that change. I think that's a, a big root cause of, of not, or, you know, the, the inverse of, of not seeing, um, you know, certain skill sets being brought to the industry. Um, and I think that's just, if you, if you keep pulling on that thread, it means that we're not closing the gap, we're widening the gap. Um, you know, one of the guys, just to, to, to bring it home, one of the statistics that we uncovered is the industry's hiring you know, three baby boomers for, for every Gen Z hire. Um, and um, it, that was really surprising to me. Um, and I'm not sure if that, I don't think it's because the industry is fundamentally not attractive. <laughs> I think it, it, it is, you know, you back to something I said, whatever, 10 minutes ago, it's, it's the, um, you know, you hire who you're comfortable with. I wonder, though, part of how we've always structured talent and talent development in real estate has been you start at a certain role to acquire certain skills and familiarity with the real estate environment, the industry, how things are done, and then you work your way up to a leadership position. If you are a data scientist, if you are someone that's, that's well-versed in AI, are you the next generation of leaders in our industry or is there something else that we have to pay attention to as well? Yeah, but that's an interesting thing, Gunnar. And, and just to give you, a, I think I've told you the story before, but somebody that you and I both know well, who's actually a little younger than, than either of us is, um, I was talking to him, I was looking at his company and I was really bothered by how much time his asset managers were spending on wrangling data, just wrestling things down and rekeying stuff in spreadsheets and doing things that were, 
you know, that were necessary, but but not really value add to, to get to the value add stuff. Um, and I was I like felt this fiduciary duty to go in and 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 say, hey, look, do you do you know this is happening? And and his response was, that's that's the way I learned it. That's the way I did it. And you know, that's the way they're going to do it. <laughs> um, uh, as a, as opposed to, oh my gosh, the, you know, in, in, in a lot of cases, it's like two days a week wrangling data before people spend a minute thinking about it. And it's a, it's a, a I think a, when we're starting to see something of a, of a leadership generational change of not just, this is how we've always done it, but maybe there's, maybe there is a better way. Maybe we should be uh, you know, getting value out of, uh, of uh, sorry, I, I keep beating on the same drum. Maybe we should be getting out, you know, value out of data. Maybe there's something there, right? That not to replace, um, not to replace judgment, uh, but to sit alongside of it. Let's 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 test our orthodoxies. Let's test our, you know, um, maybe unconscious biases about uh, about what's interesting and and how people are behaving and what they want. Um, with what's the data tell us? Um, but but then you need people who know how to, you know, the, the, it's like then all of a sudden you get to, well, how do I get the data? What data should I be looking at? You know, social media sentiment. I, I understand what that is, but I don't know how to how to you know put that into my decision matrix or understand you know what it means. And and then suddenly I need people who who do know how to do that, who, who know how to get it, where to put it, you know, how to test it. Um, you know, where there is noise versus signal um, and, you know, how to separate the two. And and it's not a so I, I get it. it. Everything I just described takes perseverance and a, and a real belief that there is something there. And it's never the priority of the day. Right. I mean, you still have to keep the doors open. You still have to you have to get the capital out. You have to be thinking that way. But I also wonder, too, if part of the the direction this implies, or what the resistance may be, is that leadership actually has to change. So there, it's it's not that you can go out and hire data and data analytics all by itself. You yourself either have to change or, at the worst case, be replaced by someone who's looking at real estate through a different lens than what we've used in the past. And, and it is the, in our experience, it is the number one indicator of success. Mm -hmm. So that is to say that leadership believes there is a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow, that there's that there's value to be had, that there's a reason to change. Um, and that even if they don't have, and these are, you know, leaders are used to being the people with the answers. So, yeah. you know, even if you don't have all of the answers, it's okay. Um, that, that, um, you know, just the fundamental belief that there's a, either a better way or some value to be gained here is, is the critical success factor in, in two things, both that something happens, um, and that, that something lives long enough to be successful. Mm -hmm. Well, it also seems to require one of those things that is a marker of, of a, of a long-term powerful leader is someone who can have an excessive amount of humility, someone that can go forth and say, I don't know the answer and be able to ask the essential questions. And boy, the, uh, you and I both know that the, the, the people who have tended to ascend to the leadership roles in, you know, companies that certainly in your organization are, are tend to be people that 
you know, don't lack self-confidence um, and, you know, to generally spend their, their, their careers doing big transactions, which takes, uh, you know, it's, it, it tends to be the, the deal people ascend to, you know, the C-suite, right? Um, and, and that is about, you know, in some cases, placing big bets. Um, it is, uh, you know, going out on a limb and, and, you know, they don't get there because they're unsuccessful at doing that. They get there because they've been <laughs> successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why change anything now? Um, right. you talked a lot about, uh, legacy, uh, DNA or kind of, I, perhaps that's a cultural, uh, aspect that you're talking to versus a digital DNA of an organization and digital DNA, obviously being the direction that we need to move towards, um, how do you get there? And what's the, what's the difference between those two kinds of cultures? Uh, it's such a great question. So uh, we, we talk about uh, digital maturity and assessing the digital maturity of organizations. And there's a bunch of ways that you can measure the digital maturity of an organization. Some of it is, you know, literally, what are you doing today? You know, are you, it's, it's so funny. I was having a, a conversation with a, a group of colleagues that a decade ago, you know, the cloud seemed like a, you know, a novel thing or something not to be trusted. And, you know, now it's just a sort of a given, right? But it's, you know, what do you literally, how does your technology manifest itself? Um, you know, part of it is what do your processes look like? How paper-based are they? Um, you know, how, uh, how, how many people are spending how much time doing repetitive rule-based activities? Um, and, and do you notice? <laughs> that is to say, <laughs> you know, do you, do you think about, um, the, and, and I'm, I'm picking on that because it is a, uh, a thing that, that machines, you know, are, are natural at, right? So the, the repetitive, very rule-based things, um, people get bored with people make mistakes. Um, you know, it doesn't require judgment. It just needs to get done. Uh, um, so uh, if I think about digital DNA, part of it is, is that, are you, you know, are you even looking for opportunities to, um, to automate things through uh, process automation? Um, you know, part of it is how does information flow through the enterprise? Um, you know, part of it is how are you leveraging, uh, you know, technologies like, um, you know, document readers or, or contract readers to, to do, you know, abstraction of terms. So if you look at if you look at a bunch of these um, sort of different dimensions of of uh, of things that can be digital um, and you look at, you know, kind of where you are in a spectrum from, you know, no, no awareness to you know, sort of fully enabled, um, it gives you a sense of, of, of a company's uh, digital DNA. Um, and, and I think that's interesting because once you get a baseline about about where you are as a company, um, it, it, it really should drive a management conversation about where do you want to be and what's the value of getting there and how fast should you get there? Um, and, you know, kind of what's that what's that plan look like? Um, and I am, I, 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 you know, at this stage of my career, I shouldn't say I'm surprised, but I, I continue to be surprised at how many organizations don't even have the conversation. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's sort of an evolutionary thing or somebody, you, you get a COO that's got a sort of a, a fire in her belly to, um, you know, do it better or to make some changes and, and you get progress. But at, a, at an industry level, I think our digital DNA is pretty low. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I just, 
you got to believe that that has to change. We've talked a lot about change in the future. Um, you and I for years in terms of these things are going to happen. So AI, digital kind of transformation, all these kinds of things are going to happen. And quite often that's been in the future. That's been, well, at some point over the next five years or the next 10 years, these things are going to happen. Everyone talking now as we're, we've been in COVID world for seven or eight months uh, is talking about an acceleration of everything, that this has acted as an accelerant in terms of change and transformation. Do you think that's the case in these areas as well? And if that's the case, how do I move from planning from five to 10 years from now, which often is not planning, it's just putting it off, to, oh, this is happening now and the transformation will be complete perhaps in one year or two years? Yeah, I, so I think the, uh, um, I think we were seeing several trends that we were tracking accelerate in a big way. Um, so uh, just in no particular order, uh, we were tracking the, the actual, and this is something you and I have talked about before, the actual engagement of, of owner and operators to the end user, whether that's a, a resident or a shopper or an actual, you know, bottom in a seat. Um, it, it is the, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really understanding behavior. Um, and in um, being much more connected uh, to to the ultimate end user, I think that's there, there's lots of practical reasons that 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 needs to to be happening in a you know as we're as we're taping this in the in the COVID environment. Um, but I think that um, you know really taking a look at um, you know what the ultimate end user of the real estate is doing. You know, so let's let's put industrial off to the side, but um, you know and in, in kind of everything else. Um, you know, really understanding, um, you know, what people are doing and then and then understanding, well, great, what do they, you know, what do they want and when are they there and how do I change, you know, what I'm doing around that, um, you know, both to be attractive to the to the kinds of people that I want to have using my real estate as well as to be a great manager of, of that real estate, you know, not not having the lights on when they don't need to be on or, you know, air conditioning or, you know, making sure that I've got air flowing when it needs to be flowing. I think there's a, there's a direct connection to that. Um, we're having a lot more conversations finally about the value of putting, of, of getting, of getting leverage from data of, of, you know, actually, okay, now we finally need to get our act together about the data that, that is in, you know, sort of buckets and jars, you know, on shelves and, and, and in storage around the enterprise. Like, why but maybe we should put it all in one place and, and, and make sense of it and get rid of the trash and, and, and think about how we use that for decisions. So I love the, 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 um, the amount of attention that's getting, um, and the, uh, and sort of the frequency of conversations about that. I think that's got to be a, a good thing for the industry. You know, you talk about getting rid of the trash. Um, I'm reminded of uh, how if you don't move too often, you accumulate a lot of stuff, right? And, and as soon as you have to move to another house, to an apartment, you get rid of the stuff that you don't want to travel with. But if you're in the same place, I've been in the same house for 19 years, there's a lot of junk that I have to get rid of. And you think about what's happened right now 
we've all moved. Now, we're hoping to go back to the offices at some point, but th the very act of physically locating ourselves in home offices and being on Zoom calls mean that we're doing without. We're doing out without a lot of junk. We're doing without a lot of processes because they're not possible anymore. How much do you think that will help kind of clear out the garage um, for us to, as essentially, we've physically moved? Yeah, listen, I think I think quite a bit, Gunnar, and I think it has put pressure on very manual processes. Uh, so you just you, the things that you didn't really see before in, in in an office where people were next to each other. You could, you know, God forbid you could pass paper around if you needed to pass paper around. Um, you know, the really manual processes are, are getting exposed. Um, and I think I think we're also seeing, you know, sort of back to the acceleration of trends. The um, uh, I, I guess both impatience with and understanding of the things that like the 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 worst of the processes um, and and that those needed to at least get you know paper needs to get turned into electronic documents and then once it's electronic uh, you know how do I how do I make it flow better and does a person really need to be doing that stuff um, I, I think that's a really valuable. The, the shining a light on it, exposing um, things is, is causing people to really think about, um, you know, how do I how do I optimize processes? Um, and I think we'll see that. I think that's going to stick around for a while. Um, uh, and, and hopefully, you know, listen, I'm not I'm not trying to, to, to you know, get people out of jobs. I just want people to be doing more interesting work or that, that you know, work that people are good at, you know, which is applying, you know, judgment, seeing trends and patterns. Um, it's, uh, you know, the, uh, figuring out what actions to take on things. Um, I think, I, I think the, 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 the moving work into higher order activities or more valuable activities is, is the end result of this. It makes us all better as an, sorry, this is speaking in platitudes a little bit, but I think that makes us better as an industry. But, but it's not without its risk. So from the standpoint that we're only hiring one young person for three boomers. Um, and another kind of anecdotal trend that I've started to observe, because I hear obviously amongst my membership about, you know, at the first wave in the first couple of months of COVID, I saw more retirements. So people saying, you know, I, I'm good. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I was thinking about leaving anyway. I'll step out a little sooner. I'll accelerate it. But what I'm starting to see now over the last month or two is younger people saying, you know what, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to leave. So I'm seeing millennials stepping out of these larger organizations where they're learning the old way of doing things. And they're saying, well, I'm going to take this opportunity to step out, not just because they were pushed out. In many cases, they weren't. They're simply saying, it's time for me to set up my own shop. And as they do that, they, they could very well be using newer techniques, new ways of thinking about things. And to a certain extent, Kind of put us out of business, uh, you know, and become the new business, if you will. Yeah, and I think I, actually that's um, that's a, an interesting observation, Gunnar. And I think it is a I, listen. If you depends on how you look at it, it's either it's either a threat or an impetus, right? Um, so it, it would I would not bet against um, that uh, that the that being. You know, people that have a, a reasonable amount of experience, but are thinking, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to work for the man anymore. I'm going to go, you know, do it myself, and I'm going to go do it my way. Having that way be materially different 
um, than than it's been done traditionally. And and I think that that can only be healthy because it's uh, for for whatever the motivation is. The motivation is we've we've got to we've got to run our business better. We've got to do things differently. We're gonna we're going to transform and innovate by ourselves, or whether it's to you know respond to a threat. Um, I, either way, um, I, I think the the transformation that that results is is going to be really healthy for us. And and I just I, I think we've just seen a big fast forward in how long that's going to take um, uh, over the last six months. I think we. I think things have sped up a bit. Um, I think that's great. So if you're the head of an organization that is perhaps in the legacy DNA category, um, you see the need, you buy into the need to kind of transform processes and skill base and everything else in order to meet the challenges. What are the top one to two things that today you need to start doing? What do you need to think about now? Yeah, so we've seen... Uh, and I don't remember this four years ago, maybe even three years ago, um, very senior uh, hires or appointments uh, that have innovation in their title, um, which means there is somebody whose job it is to think about how the organization changes, how how what innovation means, what form it takes and what to do about it. Um, I, there is just nothing bad that can come of that. So, you know, the and, and listen, some of the some of the, the people whose title is innovation end up getting sort of kitchen sink responsibilities. Um, but for the organizations that are really getting it right, it is somebody whose job it is to think about, um, you know, what do we need to do to innovate? I think that's fantastic. Right. So it's like waking up every day <laughs> and thinking about. Um, you know, what what can and should change and how is that valuable and how do I sell that to a management team? Um, I love that trend. Um, you know, I think the other thing is, oh, gosh, I can't remember if you and I had this conversation, but, uh, you know, to the extent that that um, companies are hiring digital natives, um, you know, sort of millennials, Gen Z, um, you know, who lived an entirely digital life. Um Nothing, nothing bad can, well, bad things could be, you know, sort of actually looking at the monster in the closet, but nothing bad can come of, of interviewing those people, like deliberately stopping and, and asking for impressions after three months or, or six months. Um, because the lens of like, how, how are we working and what are our opportunities um, from uh, someone either from outside of the industry or, you know, who's who has lived an entirely digital life is a really telling lens uh, about where there's about where there's opportunities and, and, and what can and should change. It's almost as if instead of getting them to learn how we do things, we need to flip that more. We need to learn from them. Uh, they may not know, you know, every deal that's taken place over the last 30 years, but they may know something that we need to acquire. And there's going to be there's going to be some, uh, you know, sort of false negatives in that. Right. Yeah. The things, the things that they think should be the case. It just can't be the case or aren't going to change. But there's going to be some there's going to be value and just being deliberate and asking, you know, sort of having the conversation. Um, you know, what do you see? What are the opportunities? What would you do if, if you were running this company? Um, doesn't take a whole lot 
um, and the information is really valuable. We're running out of time here, but uh, I, I think certainly a takeaway I'm getting is that A, humility, B, Listen, it sounds like pretty bomb and apple pie, important stuff for us all to do uh, as we approach the future. So thank you, John, for being a part of the A Fire podcast. My pleasure, Gunnar. Always good to talk to you. And before we close out this podcast, I wanted to make sure we took some time to thank our underwriters, Prologis, JLL, and Holland Partners, who make it possible for A Fire to provide programming such as these podcasts. Thank you. This podcast is produced by AFIRE, the Association for International Real Estate Investors focused on commercial property in the United States. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. None of the content is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included in this podcast may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. This is Gunnar Branson from the AFIRE podcast. Thank you for listening.